Hello, this is Matt Hale bringing you Art Monthly's talk show on Resonance 104.4 FM, which is also on DAB now, and my engineer Chris is going to help me out with saying, what should I say, Chris, these days? Because you are on DAB now, Resonance, isn't it, as well? You can find Resonance on DAB, yes. Yes, I mean, I haven't actually managed to find it myself, I have... To it's be honest, there. I think it, you might need to retune your set if, if yeah, yeah. But if you if you retune it, then then we should be there. And this is in this is Lon- London, Greater London, Greater London, huh. yeah, which is great. So you've got quite a few options because you can stream it online. Listen to it. You can, this program also goes on podcast on Art Monthly's website, and uh, there's all the programs we've ever done there on the page called Events. So if you fancy listening to more after this one, it's very easy to do. And today, um. I'm joined in the studio by Peter Suchin and Virginia Wiles, both writers with Art Monthly um, for quite a long time. Peter, in fact, has written and told me today, which was very sweet, really, because he's very proud of it, which is marvellous. He's written for Art Monthly for 30 years. Well, I think... This month. Yes, this month. The fact that you mention it shows to me, in a way, that there must be something of... Uh, a little more than looking for another job, man. <laughs> <laughs> yes, constantly. But in Virginia, do you know when? I'm afraid I don't know when you first wrote for Art Monthly. Do you know? God, I can't remember. But I first wrote for Studio. Oh golly! So you so, were writing for Peter Townsend, the yes. editor of Art Monthly, prior to him being the editor yeah. of Art Monthly. Yeah. In the great magazine Studio International. Yes. Well, yes, I should have known that. That's marvellous. <laughs> well, that's that's sort of one-upmanship. I call that. Well, really. it's because I'm so old. <laughs> no, no, no. But that, but it, it, you know, that was. A magazine wasn't it that was really um very much the basis of art monthly in the sense that it was all very conceptual art that peter was kind of bringing but you know more about it when is that do you feel the the strong link between art monthly and studio in any way yes i do i do and in fact um one of my colleagues at uh, chelsea is joe melvin who's doing the whole history of uh, studio yes she did a show at raven road didn't she which was based on one particular issue i think yes absolutely yeah yeah no and and obviously jack wendler who is the current publisher of art monthly Mm. still is Mm. um went right back to that same period of time and ran a gallery that that's where peter and he met i think and then that closed and then they opened art monthly so anyway we're getting historical here but that's fine we're we're really here to talk about um texts in two or three magazines, particularly the current one, which is May 2016, issue 396, in which um, Peter Suchin has reviewed John Roberts' Revolutionary Time in the Avant-Garde. And um, the first thing, however, is Virginia's interview with Mona Hatoum. Um, Art Monthly does regular interviews um, with artists, um, usually of a fairly mature established uh in a fairly mature established position so so that we get you know an in-depth kind of coverage of something and this one covers uh three four five pages i think i don't know how many thousands of words that is but it's quite a lot um virginia when you we we or you proposed to interview mona i don't know which around it was but it was uh art monthly who asked me yeah yeah, because we do a book called talking art Mm. which is i think we're on the second volume which is due for publication soon of of all the interviews going back a long way which is i think quite a useful document and this is obviously going to probably go in that Mm, i would think mm. but you approach the artist yourself do you and then i'd like to kind of deconstruct slightly the process behind the yeah. text interview which is yeah. what we're here looking at it's not an interview people listen to like you could say this one is 
No, and that and that makes it quite complex, really, because um, you have to approach it delicately, uh, according to the artist. And several artists uh, react rather, let's say, anxiously towards an interview. I've had that happen before, and uh, it was the case here. But in fact, it went marvelously well. I'm 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 not saying, but it was a very uh, let's say. Long, complex preparation because I thought I knew her work well. And when you start to plan an interview, you realise you've got to read a bit more. So I read about twelve catalogues with some very rich texts, I have to say. And then how to structure the issues really, because Mona wanted the questions, but I said I can't formulate the questions. I want it to flow. <laughs> hopefully, uh, you mean you, you don't want to pre-formulate? All the questions. No, is that, is that what you the meant? Questions in a way to evolve out of what mm. was said before in a conversational way. But I was prepared to put down the, and which I did. I chose twelve issues to discuss. Okay. And we managed more or less to cover those. And I think then the next stage was how to um, practice an interview because uh, I, I, I think it's very interesting that you have to avoid any question that. Uh, can lead to an acquiescence or a rejection, a yes-no answer. You yes, yes, you don't, yes, you don't want to set question. them up for a no or, yeah. or simple answer. Yeah. I understand, yeah. Um, well, why not? You could, but anyway. Um, and so I had a, a funny rehearsal with a friend, a famous artist whose name I will not name, um, because that amused us both. And in fact, we're going to extend that and might do a comic scene of it one day. <laughs> um, but the proposed themes for discussion were then sent to Mona and she was very prepared when I arrived. And in fact, um, we had a very lively conversation. I say it went on for three hours. Lovely. So then it was a huge job to transcribe that. Yeah, and you, record, you recorded it, I did recorded you? it, Okay, yeah. and then that yeah. has to be put down into text yes. from, the, from the recording. Absolutely. I mean, that in itself, actually, yeah. is quite, a, as you say, a job. I mean, I know that we used to send them off to a place to be done. They used to have foot pedals on the floor to stop and start the tapes, yeah. you know, years ago. And before that, people were doing it with their fingers on buttons. And now, yeah. presumably, it's digital, is it? I don't know what you used. It's a hell of a job. Yeah. I would just use an iPad. I mean, I'm yeah. um, technophobic. But anyway, it worked very well. And m the main issues that I wanted to cover were covered. Um, and then it was, um, uh, let's say, put into slightly more formal language uh, by uh, Mona. Um, but uh, it reads very clearly, I think. Yeah. yeah, I think it does. Yeah, this is that's Peter Suchin. Mm. Yeah, He's coming in at the back. <coughs> so you you got twelve these twelve themes that you. Mm. I mean, rather than just read off a list, it would yeah. be nice for us to try and consider perhaps what they were, or or, or go through a little bit. Um, um, mm. and and I I don't know what the first one you you thought you talked to her about was. I mean, you opened it up talking about residences, and and the site being very important, like where she is. Yes, when she makes her work. The more you go into it, you realise how much her work is very much incited by the site. It's very much uh, adapted to that. And that's an area that interests me a lot. And that's why I started with that and eventually came round to the question that she did reject wholeheartedly, that was, did she take on an ethnographic approach? Because um, I'm always bring in, bringing that in uh, in my 
teaching and working and writing, how I think anthropology plays a huge role in art practice and art theory. And she said very clearly when I brought that up, I don't like the analogy at all, the uh, fieldwork through observation and participation. Um, and I thought that was that was very interesting, how she she knows very clearly uh, in what way she likes to work. Um, she says something about reading fiction instead. Oh, very much, and that, in fact, that of the place a, where she was, so written in that place. Yeah, yeah, that was India in particular. Coming out of that place. Oh, was it? To India, she goes to India every year, and that was very interesting. And in fact, at the end of the discussion, we went back to the fiction and compared notes and found we were reading exactly the same book, and and uh, our, our, t- our whole readings areas were similar. And I would have liked to have included that, but there wasn't the space in the end you know but I think in a way uh, I like the idea of a a conversation leading off out of the art into other areas and I think that should happen more but then that's a concern obviously for the artist if they you know they want to uh, sorry Peter it's quite interesting what you say about it leading off because um I, the only person I've ever interviewed, actually, yeah. was uh, like for a magazine, was Victor Bergen, who we're going to talk about in a bit anyway. Yeah. And Victor Bergen wanted to, me to send him the questions, and I kind of did. But he was some. What I'm trying to say, there's a kind of element of wanting to, well, not control it completely, but know what he was in for, yeah. which is you know fair enough thing. And then what happened, I think, as I remember, I sent him the questions, but he replied to the first one, and then it became much more ad lib. But t- we touched on some of the other themes, yeah. so hopefully it did flow. You know, yeah. I'm not sure if you edited yours and changed it round and things because you had, sound like you had a huge amount of mm. stuff when you when you got the interview back. Yeah, did you do that? Uh, no, I didn't edit it. Mona had the final edit, right. but I I had the final read too. I mean, there was one yeah. thing missing that I had put back in. So um, no, we it, you know that 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 flowed through well, and I think. Um, the the one area that I would have loved to explore more is the kind of theatrical uh, area of her work. But then you see that again is going off, and that could be a discussion on its own almost, couldn't it? Yeah, you know, a big, yeah, a big piece. Because yeah, I'm talking, just going back to this thing about the um, specific place, this idea of what she calls re- being being a resident at a at a kind of museum she gets invited to do exhibitions but she calls that almost like being a residency yes. because she must go yeah. and and observe it very carefully beforehand and then go away and think about what to do but she's kind of thinking about that specific place but then i thought well she's got this show at the tate which obviously is kind of partly will time why we've done the interview now i think to time with the tate mm-hmm. modern exhibition isn't she where where all the work is it's a re- i mean it's a retrospective fundamentally isn't it it's not work made for tate modern Mm -hmm. which i mean we can discuss it but obviously she handled that show perfectly well with work that already existed yes which is which is it actually very is it actually antithetical that show to the way she normally works oh yes and she made that makes that very clear in the interview yes that you know in a way it's a sort of uh uh, a landing where she can reflect on the situation where she's at. It's a space in between her residences. And in fact, that's why I asked her if she ever does any work without travelling. She doesn't really. You know, it's she's motivated by the place so much that uh, she's constantly on the move. And, and that's what leads to a sort of, I think, a tremendous dynamics in her work, the exchange with the locals. And that's what why I bring it back to her interesting craft at the end, which... Uh, 
is comes through very much in this show. And I'd just like to say that, in a way, uh, looking back on the show, because I saw the, the, the one in Paris that was last year, that was very spectacular. You've got the picture in the... Is yeah. it the Pompidou Centre? Yeah, and, and, the, and the map on the ground that was amazing uh, with the marbles looking out over across Paris. And, of course, they can't do that at the Tate. No. But I have to say that, on the whole, I felt the Tate show was tighter, better constructed, and one understood her work far more clearly. You moved in and they'd grouped it together. It was very much more uh, disparate in Paris. It flowed, it was beautiful, but it wasn't so uh, meaningful. You know, it was... Uh, it was just sort of themed a bit more Tate Modern. Yes, someone Someone's very about being putting work of a kind together, yeah. not not of a not a historical arrangement. Yeah. But, um, yeah, Peter, you say? Well, just uh, I, I only saw that show today at the, at the Tate, and I thought it was... I mean, I can see what you mean about it's clearer, but, mm. I mean, you go in the first... I'm sorry, I don't know the, the title of the first piece, you may know. The, the sort, the sort uh, of magnetic, there. yeah. It's, it's yes. like a big, it's a big box. Yes. A huge box, isn't it? In a black uh, metal, I think, yes. on the outside. Yeah. But you can't really walk around it. It's uh, it's a reference to minimalism, but you can't walk around it or get no, you can only walk around so two it's sides. Kind of, I thought that really could have been better presented, actually. So well, the tight, yeah, is a, you know, it's a bit of a problem as well. It's, it's tight, too tight in a way. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah it's, there it's, were it's, several the, pieces. The, mm. the black marbles you couldn't walk round further no, on. I'm not sure well. that's them being concerned because that one, the first one you come to, is, is actually covered in iron filings isn't yes, it, and yeah. held on by magnets. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised, given the way I do see some works at Tate Modern being shown, is they rope things that are mm. minimal art of poverty floor works, yeah. mm. and they ruin them. But they're very, very worried about people. Damaging work, so I wouldn't be surprised, Peter, if that was just done purely on the grounds of protection. Well, actually, that, yeah, there was a sort well, of um, line on the line on the floor about. Yeah, it's, it's a shame. Well, it's a shame. Though. Yes, and they and with the electric works, obviously. Oh, yeah. with the but what home. you do see quite quickly um, is is a lot of um, performance, early performance mm. video, re- either recordings of her performing, yes. or I don't know. I think they are probably all documentary, aren't they? They're not works. They're not what I call video performance work. They are. Videos of performance. Well, she had both because she also filmed herself, definitely in one or two examples, and then others that were filmed by others or photographed by others. Yeah, and it gets very and beautifully complicated. That, that's, yes, doesn't it? Because yes. there's one where she's filmed people. People are filmed in the audience one by one, yes. aren't they? In a piece. Well, if anything, oh. uh, critically, I think though that video work could have been shown better. Yeah, I think they were both in corners that were. Not very clear for the public, you know. They were down. I I, I quite like the idea of having the screen on the floor and mm. underplaying it, but you know they were they're they're such extraordinarily strong pieces. Those yeah. early pieces that they and then they're kind of confined in a, a difficult way, aren't they? Would you? Yeah. What's, what do you think? That, that, what What's interesting to me to try and draw out would be that if there's any connection between this quite definitely early. I mean, she was a performance artist. Primarily, having let when she left art school, am I primarily well, it started not, while she was at the Slade. yeah, but but, but mm. she she when she did something like when she left, she didn't really have a studio, no, no. and so her way of working yeah. was well, I'll I'll use me, yeah, and and I'll go out in the world and make art that way, and mm. so, but 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 I wonder if there's any link between this residency feeling she has now mm. and the travelling thing and 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 specific specific place being very important to that early specificness of. P- performing, you know, in the moment, as it were. 
Yes, I think that's quite possible. Yeah, it would have been a good question. I didn't. I missed that one. Well, no, 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 you didn't miss it at all. I mean, I think it's it's just you know because mm. you, I I see some of her is, is, and and I'd love to know where, where where you stand on this as well. Some of the work is incredibly beautifully and carefully and expensively constructed, mm. but quite minimal mm. um, pieces. So mm. so very elegant. Like there's this ones that look like a seat, which is like a top of a cheese grater. So if you sat on it, you'd be sitting on the bits that you normally grate on, for mm-hmm. instance. But it's, it must have cost a lot of money to make. Mm. It's probably fabricated by other people. And it's, it's very... Um, I think it's so different to the performance well, video work or, or s- some of the other pieces that, that you see, which are like using original old nostalgic like a table with a chair and, you know, found stuff, like which is more Duchamp in. This other very highly constructed stuff. But she stuff. has both running throughout her career. Yes, but it's interesting that, that, yeah. that, she's, that she does do that, these she's, two seemingly very different things. Yes, and she's constantly drawing. She's constantly making little things, you know. Mm. So I think that, 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 that craft and this rather spectacular super production works in in a, an interesting dialogue throughout the show, and I think that came across. Hmm. Well, I was just thinking that some of it, for me, was a bit too aestheticised, actually, and too slick for some of the themes that seem very existential and about the body. Uh, so I felt that was a bit of a distraction sometimes. Do, do you have a... The, the production mean, values were took over, yes. maybe. Well, I, I think... I, th- I, I sometimes think I'm not quite sure what... Say, say, for instance, what the one with all the the stacks of bunk beds. There's like these beds, mm. and they're in a cross, mm. and there's a stack of. They're very. There's no mattresses, and they're they're pretty minimal. They're obviously mm. not real ones that she's had them constructed, and they're referencing. I'm sure, without pointing very, not. It's very very veiled, or it's m- almost metaphorical, or something. I don't yes. know. Do you agree? I mean, I just I think it's interesting that the level at which she sets things, yes. particularly maybe now. Compared to the more overtly political things, like you know, dragging the policeman's boots behind her feet, yeah. walking barefoot through Brixton, with early work seems very much more to the point. Yes, but I think that she, she's constantly inspired by local situations wherever she is, and and yet she makes them meaningful in a much more global way. Yes, you okay. know, that we can come back to a dictatorial. Yeah, I w- I'm not criticising him for, for well, I'm yeah. really. I, I, I think Peter's got a point about the aestheticisation thing, but uh, I just <coughs> thought it's interesting the level at which he chooses to set mm. the, the the meaning or the references to to the outside. In uh, it, it, when you say what you're saying about specificity of place, yes, I, when I look at the work, I'm not quite sure where that is. But, that, but then surely the work's got to operate beyond that initial, you know, the yeah. initial gallery show she had in and, a particular and, place. So she uses a, so it's a going stimulus. To be, yeah, but it's got, if it didn't, then it would just be redundant in a way, wouldn't it, arguably, mm. well, after you, that first show. Yes, absolutely. So yeah. I think it needs to... No, no, well, I'm glad you glad you clarified. I think, you see, there's that point um, where in the interview where Virginia asked her about the Thomas Hershorn remark, and uh, the remark is to the effect... Um, I think he was asked this, was he? Or he made this point anyway that should one make political art or should one make art politically? Hmm. I'm paraphrasing, it's not the exact words, but I think that's the gist of it. And I don't think she quite answers that in the interview, but maybe that could be a kind of tactic to not pin it down as well. Yes. You know, to let you read the work, let the the viewer. Very, very much so. 
and 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 that's why she leaves things open the whole time. She doesn't want to state her specific position anyway her her position is is absolutely clear i think it, you can read it through partly knowing her life story which we didn't go into in the interview because it's repeated in every single text about her and but i think that where i probably one of the be best texts on her was by edward said in a long time ago where she talks about her belligerent intelligence and i think that belligerent intelligence is something that comes through not just you know in a resistant reaction to what was going on in the slave days and the oppression but in a much more controlled way as she moves on um uh in with all the situation she's in and and i think that uh for example in the lebanon where she worked with um an ngo in ash and uh I'm not sure if that piece works that well. They're suspended to carpets, the embroideries. Oh, yes. But the process of doing it, the way she described she entered into it and, and the dealings with the women was in itself fascinating, I found, ethnographically. That's why I, I just think that... Um, uh, you see, maybe that's where you would have found that too mm. aesthetic. But you see, I, I I tend to disagree with you uh, because maybe it's because I deal a lot with the <laughs> with the Pakistani miniatures that are profoundly beautiful, but the mm. content is about violence and about horror. But they have not given up on aesthetics. I mean, the the, the return to the discourse around beauty is very. Definite, and I think it's the same with Mona that she believes very much that there is a notion of hope that comes through yeah. aesthetics, well, which which would would be the aesthetic part of of the work, yeah. the hope part. Yes, is, yes. No, that's, just but for clarity, because it's it's mm. interesting, because you know when you do present work which is look, you know, things in cages and and stuff, the, the initial yeah. feeling is is one of obviously. Uh, claustrophobia and, and and you think of prisons and things like that but then yeah. you think oh but this, she's made it so lovely mm. and you and, and part of me is thinking oh golly what, what why would you you're sort of you're giving one thing and then you're you're undercutting it with yeah. another but, well, but you're making it sound absolutely plausible i think and, and i think some works require high production values and aesthetic aesthetics of that sort if you like and some might not mm. so i'm not saying it's you, know, you can never do this oh. no no but some of the work works because it's really. Like, I don't. Again, I'm afraid I don't know the title, but the the piece that with the sand, yes, a, a circular motorized piece where the sand. It's called plus and minus. I yes, think. well, plus the sand, uh, the the motor dr uh, scrapes into the sand. The, yeah. the, the piece of metal scrapes into the sand, and it produces um, circular pattern. But the other side of the same bit of metal, which is like a, almost like a rotor blade or something, it erases the marks and it makes it flat again. Mm -hmm. And you could talk about metaphor there, can you? Like life, death, big mm. presence, absence, whatever. But that that needs, it seems seemed to me, it needed that high production value and that neatness and that sharpness to work. Yeah. And it's like once visually one thing, but it works very well. But it stands for a lot of things. Well, hopefully, yeah. <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's, it does. I think well, it can do. Well, it's completely in liaison with her experience of Japan and and you know the the garden in Kyoto and the whole mm. where they rake around, where they is, rake where everything is word, done right, yeah. with exquisite tension and delicacy yeah. you know so uh she's picked up on that and i think that's important i mean one of the last little rooms 
you couldn't have got more minimal or miserable in a way that room with the single bed oh and, yes and the, and oh, the yeah. chair which yeah. is sort of going through the table yeah. is that the one you mean yes it's yes, like she's literally cut the yeah. top of the chair off and it sticks yeah. up yes mm. it's like tucked under but permanently yeah isn't it it's curious. It's a weird, um, almost like an optical illusion. But really. that's all yeah. that sort of found stuff. She does say at the end of the interview that um, she, she says, um, oh, it's when I discovered Duchamp, I never looked back. Mm. What, what, how do you describe her, her relationship to Duchamp? I mean, through her wit and the wordplay, mostly. You know, I mean, I think the chair with the pubic hair on it, the pubic space, the public chair, yes. is just fantastic. Yeah. I think that sums it up and i think she's uh well as she 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 says that you know she discovered duchamp well at the slade and uh, it's been it's influenced her ever since and i think it's very present in her work i think there is a humor throughout even in the most uh dramatic things the, the hu there's humor with her hairballs there's humor in the fact mm. that she's uh, that lovely little piece i thought of all the pieces that's the one i'd like it's the toilet paper with her hair oh, run, yes. running through it yes yes you can't get much more sort of stitched, stitched in Umbury do champion and also having marbles on the floor yeah i mean just the idea that people would fall would fall yeah. over yeah. i mean there's an element of i mean it's yeah they're beautifully arranged. Yeah, I mean, there is comedy, isn't there? A, a kind yeah, of yes. depressing, or not depressing, but yeah, a yes, sort of dark, dark. Hum, dark comedy. Well, yeah, well, because she does. There is a, a big black. Well, there's a circle of a lot of dark marbles, isn't yeah, there? Yeah. Which I think she describes as a black hole. Yes. Which I mean, obviously yeah. clearly isn't a black hole because well, it's lots of reflection. You can't see a black hole. Can and you? and yeah. but, they're, they're, but, mm. the, but this this amazing kind of tension between because you just think well if i just took one out the whole thing would roll away. Yeah. Yeah. And that that I don't know how she's done that by the way, but um it's very. Well, some of it's stuck, I think. It would have to be. <laughs> I think it would have to be. Yeah. Anyway. yeah but but you, 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 you do, it's well, well worth seeing the show at the Tate, Tate Modern, obviously, which it goes yeah. on for quite a while, I believe, until um, 21st of August, I think. Yes. But um, you, you, you say you met her personally uh, uh, quite a long time ago as well. Yes, in Paris when she was teaching at the Beaux-Arts and I was living there and she came round and talked about the hard slog of preparing the hairballs every night for the work. She yeah, must, I mean, you, she must uh, work she hard. She works very she hard. She must do. Absolutely. Yeah, relentless sort of going on. And yes. as it involves personal yes. kind of stuff, it can't really involve all of it, a lot of other people, can it? I'm no. sure some of it does, but yeah. the casting of things no, and the metal work. She's one work, of the most engaged artists I know. And and uh, and for that, I think her... her her theory is all there, but she doesn't really want to talk about it. That's what you... Yeah, well, <laughs> that's fine. Well, <laughs> I could bring us to John Roberts, couldn't it? Who wants to... Well, I was going to say that we, we, could, we, could, we could... We could... <laughs> Peter's... Non-stop. I mean, just to go from, from one to the other, in a way, yeah, John, John Roberts, um, who is somebody who, who has written for Art Monthly, but not for a while now, because I think he really decided to not review things anymore. He wanted to write longer things and he certainly does doesn't he peter very long yeah i mean th this book you've reviewed here called revolutionary time and the avant-garde um published by verso um i don't know how many well it I, says I, here, I it's 300, 320 pages i reckon to, you know the kind of cal doing a rough calculation of how many lines on the page and all that, I did a rough calculation. A hundred thousand words. Yes, so that's you, the length of a thesis, that's right. you a start, doctoral yeah. thesis. Yes, you which start. Should be cut down. But but John brings these books out. I mean, every I don't know one how, a year really. Is it really? Well, is I mean, it really I that often? He, I think he does. Yeah, he did a book on photography last year. 
not as long, admittedly, but he did it. I can't remember what the one before that was. He, do, he does produce he, a bar Yes, book he does. Year, so yeah. he does churn it out. Um, well, I don't know about churning it. Well, no, yeah, and I didn't mean... Works, sorry, John, if you listen, John, I didn't mean that <laughs> be crudely. Un, but his lawyer, you, you know. do write a hell of a lot, though. <laughs> but, but, Pete, Peter, t- tell us what the book's about. Yeah, I would, I'd like to, if I could have... <laughs> well, it's a very complicated book about arguing that one should, as it were, reinstate, if I'm getting this right, because it is a complicated book, that one should reinstate the avant-garde, the notion of the avant-garde, and bring back a radical, a radical aspect to contemporary art. And then he tries to argue how this could be done, and he refers to groups of artists who work outside the conventional system of the art world. And um, I suppose that's very close to relational aesthetics and all that kind of stuff. Where, and, and he, you know, he, um, what he seems to do, he seems to try and map out in absolute detail. Personally, I think it's too much detail, unnecessary detail. A whole set of theories using, uh, you know, everybody from, uh, I can't remember now, there's so many. You know, there's a lot of Hegel in the book. It's going back to Hegel, Adorno, Hal Foster, um, Duchamp a bit. I know Duchamp's not a theorist as such. And then he has a section on art and language and he promotes, uh, well, he prioritises the idea of group practice. There's avant-garde groups or people with an avant-garde intention working in groups to counter the careerism of the usual art world. It's do, not do, about do you mean like, say, free, like the one that yeah, Dave, Dave Beach is Dave in? Beach, yeah, and I don't know if you mentioned them, but he mentions various groups, some I'd heard of, some I hadn't, and which is not, you know, to judge it, but he mentions a lot of groups, and, and he mentions art of language a lot, and that, you know, that 60s pseudo-situationist practice they had of interrogating things as a group com- in conversations. And exhibiting under the name Art and Language, yeah. not under the Which name of themselves. In- incidentally, in the to go quickly to another show, uh, the current Tate Gallery Conceptual mm. Art Show, with the Art and Language group, it says Art and Language, and then it gives the name of the person who made, made, made the, the piece. Work. And it, I don't know if Art and Language proposed that. As they get older, they want their names on it, I don't know. But if they didn't, I think that's a miss representation because they were a group practice for a reason but john roberts makes a big thing about that but where i kind of get i kind of get stuck really i mean i I try to follow his argument which is very 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 detailed and it's full of i mean you'd learn a lot if you read this book so so it's informationally yeah the book is definitely recommended you could recommend it there's bits where it goes into pretty obscure territory i think and if i'd read all of hegel first it might have helped you know it's it's very he obviously knows a great deal i'm not making fun of his like knowing too much, it's it's not. Um, that's not what I'm saying. But it, he seems to try to come up with a complex narrative by which I mean things leading into other things and arguments tying into other arguments that leads to the point really of saying, oh well, we still need an avant-garde. And it 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 feels to me he doesn't really need to have all the theory he's got to say, oh everything's been commodified in the art world. He doesn't really need to say it. And he he never really, as far as I can see. Um, defines the word research, but he uses it all the way through. To, des- I, to describe what? Well, <laughs> the practice of a bit of an means, artist. He means open-ended study, stroke, practice, done for its own end, not for money, not, not to have a career, not to get the right gallery, etc., etc. So that's admirable, but I don't think you need... I f- didn't feel you need all the Hegel. You may be a bit of a donor. You know, it's so... It's like a kind of totalising theory, which is a very Hegelian thing, actually, to come up with this totalising explanation, touching on lots of theorists and sort of dealing with them. And I think also, for me, he makes a mistake because he says painting and traditional practices aren't where the avant-garde can be anymore. 
They could be in modernism, but not now. And they're too much about doing it for the money. I think he almost says that. You know, these artists who well, still... Well, if you paint, you are trying yeah, to sell. Yeah, he's trying to get a gallery. And I just don't think that's tr- true for most artists I know who are painters. You mean they would do it anyway? Yeah. And I think a lot of the group practice are careerist, you know, so I don't, I don't think it pans out into those So you're divisions. saying in reality, the proof of of the examples he gives it doesn't necessarily stand up yeah i don't think it stands up i don't i, I mean the obvious one for me anyway as i talked about before in other contexts and, and obviously john roberts knows about him because he he was written about him terry atkinson went but i make this point in the in the article in the review terry atkinson went back to painting at a specific time and did it in an awkward way to counter shows like the new spirit in painting like if you want painting well i'll give it you but i'll i'll screw it up deliberately i'll mess it up so, which was you could say conceptual painting, yeah, so, in a way. So what I mean is that different practices at different junctures or times can be become radical when they weren't the week before, almost. You know that it's in dialogue with what's going on around it. So it's not intrinsic to any medium that it's radical. And now the most mannerist and um, almost fashionable seems to me conceptual law. Actually, you know the stuff that he's in a way defending. It seems that is the academy now. Well, it certainly... Uh, Virginia. No, I would say that uh, it came across like that in the show in Tate Britain, the conceptual art. I thought it was an extraordinarily dull show. I don't know... (laughs) Well, something. No, the artists are very interesting. I just don't understand. And I have a feeling that maybe the, the way in which it was put on rhymes a little bit with how you're suggesting the, the this book transfers that it's overly what's the word it's not necessarily academic i'm not against academic and you say actually in your uh, that you you've got a feeling that he praises art students for studying fine art despite the lack of related financial gain one must assume that he regards officially sanctioned research such as doctorates in fine art as rather incoherently a serious challenge to established norms. Is that Yeah, what? that's what I said, but they clearly aren't. That's the yeah. point I make. Now, he doesn't really... Well, what I, I think I'm trying to say there about that is if, unless he really defines his notion of research a bit more specifically, mm. then, you know, he, he's... I mean, you know, people doing PhDs are doing it for the sake of scholarship, for its own sake, some of the time, I'm sure. But it doesn't seem avant-garde. It doesn't seem to have that avant-garde edge anymore, if it ever did. Mm. So I don't really understand. I think the question is, what does he mean by research? And he, he comes out with huge bodies of knowledge, and it's very scholarly, and it's admirable in that way. And I, I like reading John Roberts because you learn things. Mm. But at the same time, I don't, you know, sometimes he, he goes off on a tangent. I don't quite think is relevant to the argument and well you know and he clearly doesn't doesn't but he does clearly take the whole thing based on the idea that there is no avant-garde now well there's no consistent avant-garde but there's touches of it in these groups or the potential for it i think and he's trying to ramp ramp it up basically and say and say we need to ramp it up well he's saying that for art to be meaningful it has to get back to that critical edge it had with modernism where it, where the idea was to challenge everyday life and capitalism and then obviously that got subsumed you know Dada was an attack on the institutions it wasn't another art style whereas now you might get artists almost cynically inventing a style to sell to Sarti or something mm. so that critical modernist uh, potential of art didn't happen or was got lost on the way so mm. it's, I think he's kind of saying let's not give up on it let's find a new way of doing it but, and, but and I it, don't think I don't feel his answers answer that. Personally. No, so there's no, sorry. Though it's sorry. Um, 
almost slightly reactionary. It doesn't sound as much as a, a touching the critical edge as I would say Hal Foster's last book does, where no. he's talking about the need for, you know, we are in dark times and the need for the art to uh, really recognize that rather than uh, play around with it, you know. And that's why he's yeah. very interested in art coming from uh, areas where politically it's much more on the edge and and that's what I think that the mm. art I mean that's why the, what I saw in Dhaka was very interesting yeah well, should we will talk to you just yeah. but Mona's work where does that fit in with what you're saying now well because she's been through that and she goes back and she's very conscious of the whole situation between Israel and Palestine yeah but but not Palestine. literally I mean, no, well, I'm just really fascinated the, by the by the specifically. We're talking about an idea of avant-garde. What does the work? How close does the work have to be to specific political situations I think it or has external to come situations? Out of those situations, out of them, and then play with metaphor, but not in a necessarily. It's not an illustration, is it? It's it? not. An well, no, 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 absolutely, which you wouldn't want at all. No, no. Just to a clarification, mm. it's not not a disagreement for me. There, I'm just. Mm. It's, it's as, trying to learn, actually, to be frank with yeah. you. <laughs> well, I think a lot of the time. Well, I, I feel that some artists, what they do, if they're tr they are, I think Terry Axon did this, and I think Art and Language did it in the 70s and 80s, and maybe still trying to do it now. They're kind of going, well, here we are now, this is where we are now, and how do we disrupt, you know, the things that were radical when we were young, and now the institution, how do we keep moving, it's like I'm becoming, a, well, not a moving target, but keep moving the debate and keep bringing back cricket, criticality. I mean, there's at least, I can't remember the author's names, but there's at least two books now, with, with titles uh, political art, as though it's like mm. impression, you know, um, uh, oh, I see. as opposed to how, yeah. you know, the question of what can be political. Yeah. And it might, I mean, Roland Barthes said to give up things is political, to stop being an artist might be political, you know, to s scuttle yourself, I think he used the phrase, <laughs> stop playing the game. And Ian Byrne, I think, was into that, one of the early art and language yeah. Participants like get was out he, was of the, he the Australian, yeah, one? who died yes. uh, fairly yeah. young, yeah, yeah. Well, what should we, should we have a go at this? Um, piece you wrote in, in an issue a little while ago, um, in March 2016, issue 394, um, Virginia, the one on the Dakar Art Summit, yeah, um, because well, you, you mentioned it a second ago, and, and it, it was a you, just tell me what it was basically to begin with. It was an event you went to. Yes, it was it was extraordinary in the sense it was very ambitious. It was meant to be a platform for South Asian art, really. But what was interesting to me was that to see the artwork coming out of Bangladesh itself, because that uh, South Asian art is mu uh, comes much more often is, is shown from India and Pakistan, but hardly. Uh, neither Nepal nor Sri Lanka get much of a space on those general platforms. So that they were present, and there were several exhibitions that showed the real cross-section of South Asian art. And uh, then there was a terrific workshop, critical writing ensemble workshop, that was attended by writers and curators from all across South Asia, but a lot from uh, the West as well. Um, so... That was very interesting, and I, I think one critique I would make is that, uh, in a way, it would be interesting to hand over the general curating much more to the local people. That, that needs to be said, as it does with the art history. It's, it's making its own way, and it's coming on. 
And there was an artist and critic there who uh, stood out for me very strongly, Mustafa Zaman, who edits a very interesting journal called Depart in Bangladeshi. And he's also an artist and a historian, a theoretician, but very interesting. Um, so it was lively. Uh, the, the, there was a lot of discussion around curating. There were so It seemed to be hosting a bunch of... Uh, people who run curatorial courses, which... Um, yes, tell us, tell us what you think of those. Tell us what you think of those, Julia. Well, <laughs> uh, it's because I'm such an oldie that I'm, I'm critical, but I shouldn't be critical. And I feel that, that actually what I'm planning to do is to do one and, <laughs> oh, right. and examine it from inside as a. But you, you, what's, what's your suspicions or, or what are you uneasy about? Are well, there too I, many of them? Yeah. Is it a balance between them and the fine art courses or something that... I think it's probably because a lot of colleges are seeing that that's where the dosh can come from. It attracts uh, students from all over the world, but they're springing up everywhere. I've just come back from Sweden, and in Sweden and Denmark and Holland, uh, Norway, uh, they're, they're, they're abundant. And the, perhaps the main school is in Zurich, apart from the Royal College of Art. So it's a, a, a phenomena. It's a real high point, high capitalist phenomena, <laughs> which is really doing well. Uh, even at Chelsea, uh, dare I say, they've got uh, one now called Collecting and um, Curating and Collections which will no doubt attract even wider bunch of people. But I'm interested who goes into them, and I, I, because I believe very strongly, but I think the best curating comes out of, from artists themselves, and that's what has gone on, really, throughout art history. Yeah, well, actually, that's interesting, because I was just, just thinking it. Well, sorry, to just You're going to say the opposite. No, I, just gonna, I was just going to say I agree with you that it, it begs the question of do curators now think they are artists, some of them? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And then if you get in the collecting bit, glued on or, or not glued on but being very important in it that seems like shopping to me it seems a different yeah you know not not the kind of idea of the curator as a, a maker of new meanings if you like yeah yeah no completely sorry to interrupt your um, no flow. no not interrupting uh, and it's it's a uh, it's it was very was that discussed clear. a bit at, at, in, a little in, bit so i asked where they were coming from the the students and uh, it was slightly veiled answers shall we say because they uh, why not you know they're coming from all walks of life and uh, uh, I know bankers who've become curators you know I mean we all know <laughs> and bankers who've become collectors yeah and, uh, <laughs> but then well, art maybe art is bringing all these people together who are disparate yes, and different and that's a good thing you could yes, say yes I suppose it's lovely really well in a way <laughs> it's a blooming <laughs> art world isn't it and so um, uh, what, what was very interesting though is that the um, and I end up with a, just a funny story about that, is that um, there were some very famous curators, who you can imagine who they were there, who were who ritually at these occasions, you know, they, they speed around from one to another. And um, I, say, I talk about <laughs> the, the gap that came through there between, let's say, the, the body of people representing South Asia and the, and the sort of well-known European and North American curators. Uh, and um, I said that the gap is filled with hot air. Um, and there's a very funny comment remark made by one of the curators about art today being trans-historical. 
and uh, this extraordinary concept of any art being trans-historical was picked up by a Sri Lankan curator who was very funny and shouted out, I suggest you change that to trans-hysterical. <laughs> um, so, so, but yeah. trans-historical trans would mean outside of history, yeah. which clearly is... Well, well it could whatever. it could mean in a positive meaning that the work you know can be read in different contexts, but it'd be yes, read differently. Like let's give him the but, benefit of the doubt. But yeah. it could sound it could be that fantasy of timeless art, couldn't it? Which well, it was, it if was it was, then that's BAD, isn't it? <laughs> 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 I feel. Yeah, anyway. No, so it was lively and interesting, and and uh, yeah, it, it was, was held 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 in a in a place. Um, the Bangladesh Shilpakala Academy, yeah. but you mentioned the people who funded it as well. Yes. Um, and you do, you do talk about the privatisation privatization of art production is performing the unfulfilled role of state support yes. in, in, in the South Asian countries. I mean... Mm. Absolutely. Um, so they've really, they've not, they've never had it the way we've, we are now maybe changing more towards them, but they've yeah. never had it. No, they've never had support either more in India than in Pakistan, but n n not at all really in uh, in majority of the countries and certainly not in Bangladesh. There's no state support for really state support for art. So that's, um, as I say, that produces an atmosphere that is uncomfortable. And a lot of artists spoke to me about that. They did. Yeah. That's interesting. Mm. In, in terms of their allegiances or what they feel they can yes. do or say. Especially when they're producing uh, uh, politicised work mm. in, <laughs> and they're trying to function in a yeah. politicised way. So they way. might self-censor or they yeah. may, yes. that kind of thing. Yes. Yeah, interesting, well, that isn't is it? a dilemma. Yeah. Anyway. Mm. Well, I mean, at this point we could talk about... And we, we hopefully will talk about John Thompson, mm. who was a great educationist and artist. Um, only only mentioning Peter now because it might flow on from what Virginia has been saying, saying now. Yeah. Um, you know, in that there's a difference. Say, um, John was an amazing. Like, well, I, I wonder if you'd say he was an idealist, but he certainly was highly respected as an edu as a teacher and yeah. and well, much more. Um, and comes out of the the British. Art school well, it comes from education art, system. He comes out as a practicing artist, and he's, he's a practicing mm. artist who writes. You know, I mean, I'm not trying to centralise it, but he is some. He's not an academic or an art historian mm. or a critic. You know, he comes, but he's critical and he's right. So I think that's very interesting. But like talking about John Roberts, and I'm not demeaning John Roberts, but if you look at John Thompson's writing, it's always very clear. You know, mm. and maybe John Roberts is trying to you know analyse things more in a different way, but. Uh, there's a remark from in John Thompson's writings, his own writings, in the interview at the beginning, his uh, collected writings, where he's, he says, well, what, why I started writing is because I felt there were things that needed to be written about in the art world that no one else was dealing with and they should be dealt with. So, in a way, he's saying, I, you know, I felt the, if I have to do it, then I have to do it. Someone's got to do it. And I quite like, I like that idea that, you know, he's not saying I'm the dumb artist, I don't know anything. He's saying, well, it's up to us artists to change things if we think things are wrong. Yeah. And I like the way, he, you know, he was obviously very influenced and interested in Duchamp and in the conceptual. And I think quite a bit of his earlier work was conceptual, shall we say. And then later on in his life, in the, I think maybe the last 20 or 30 years of his life, he 
was a painter, but that wasn't anti-intellectual either, you know. So I, li- I like the way that he did all that, and he also curated shows, which were, I think, a form of his teaching as well. Yes. That he brought things in for us to, you know, for the audience to see. Yeah, but, but well, he was the kind of curator that you were talking about earlier, the one where, you know, you make meaning by arranging and te- yeah. and you teach through yeah. what you know and what you put together. Yeah. I mean, he died in um, 2016, just so people know. There was an yeah. obituary on uh, page 13 of our April issue that Peter wrote, and so we just yeah. thought we'd uh, talk about him. I, I, I privilegedly taught me for one or two hours yeah. at one time in my well, life, but e- other people I know who for a long time by him. Well, you said you were pri- privileged. I think you just said you were privileged. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I didn't know him. I met him a few times. I didn't know him. I was never taught by him. But every time you mentioned him to an artist who knew him, mm. or talk, they go, oh, he was fantastic. Right? I put this in the obituaries. I thought it was... I got the impression it was true, you know, that yeah. he was incredibly respected because he was on one, cent- on one side very down-to-earth, but also prepared to deal with complex issues and... You know the history of or the history of a practice, so um, I think it probably was a privilege to be taught by him. You know, not in a, a snobby way. I mean, because you learn things from him. Yes, people really, you know. And then there's a whole thing. Obviously, he taught some of the YBA, didn't he? And he fam- well famously, if that's the right word, later on wrote an article attacking the YBA, saying they'd sold out to the state. So that's, I don't think that's stupid. I think that's quite brave to go, look, I taught you with these morals, as it were. Partly there's a morality in what I was doing, I was teaching you. And look, you've gone and done that. Yeah. I think that's the kind of gist of what he was saying. So there's, a, there's an honesty as well, which is pretty good. Yeah. And I think he could deal with, with people of all different types mm. of artists. So, you know, I know someone who was at Goldsmiths who wasn't at YBA with, yeah. uh, at the same time, and they found him very sensitive to them. Whilst he could also deal with other people like, you know, yeah. the louder, more brash, pushy people, pushy people. he yeah. could deal with them as well, yeah. and also question them as well. Which yeah. is, but um, it, 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 he did show anti Reynolds gallery, didn't he, for a long, I mean, many years. Yeah. Which um, and, and I think he was still doing that uh, at, to the end. I don't yeah, know. I think he was. Well, it's quite. Um, well, I thought it was quite interesting actually. Um, perhaps this is a strange thing to say, but. When uh, John Thompson died, Anthony Reynolds' gallery sent out uh, like a, mm, yeah, inform- a piece of information, if you like, you know, saying we're sorry, we're sorry to announce the death of John Thompson. And they had one of his paintings. And I don't know the name of the painting because it's not on the thing, but it's very colourful around the edges and there's a, an absence in the centre and it's almost like a portrait that yeah. someone's gone. And I don't know if that was delib- or, you know, deliberate, but uh, it had a kind of humour about it as well. I thought that's probably what John Thompson liked. You know, there was something. I mean, it was a very the painting's incredibly colourful with this sort of dark, absent centre. Yeah, something missing. Yeah, he started I, painting. That's what he was doing. Yeah. I think at the Royal Academy. I think years mm. before, and then and then he sort of went away from painting, and then he ended up going back to it. I, yeah. b- I believe, which is interesting. Well, I think to the last few years, Antonio he had a, he had a show maybe every year or yeah, every, you know, which months. were all what you'd call abstract yeah. paintings of of some sort. And uh, I remember saying what Antonio's this is a really good show, and John he said, "What do you mean, God? It's fantastic!" You know, <laughs> <laughs> which is what he would say, I suppose. But and, well, yeah, it's been but, enthusiastic. You know, I think he's an important uh, John Thompson, isn't it? Was an important person in a lot of ways. Yeah, for the art yeah. world, and I think the art world would be different if he hadn't sort of been in it, you know, and not because of the YBA, but because because of that sort of honesty and that attempt to be a writer, hmm. painter, critic, um, you know, commentator and practitioner, and not say I'm not getting involved in all that. I'm not an expert, yeah, but, yeah. but to sort of take things on. 
Do you, do you think you can? We've got about five minutes left of the programme, so we've done incredibly well. You guys have done great, I should say, really. Two of you filling an hour. But we've got, we could say quickly about Barter and Berg in at John Hansard Gallery. Yeah, you, you did mention interviewing... Um, Bergen. Bergen earlier on yourself, didn't you? And you, yeah. you, got, you then reviewed this show, which was at John Hansel Gallery in February... This year, yeah. Um, ...to April this I think year. It's in, it may, I think it's going to Manchester, actually. It's touring, I'm not sure. It was going to be their last show, I think. Um, it was but, but now show, they are yeah. actually. But no, they're now going to have the British Art Show... Oh, well, they right, delayed their move out of there temporarily, um, yeah. to, but they are going to be in the bang in the centre well, of Southampton. It was commissioned as the last show, yeah. Uh, but you t- tell us about that show. Okay, that- it was a very interesting show. I didn't always like every, you know, every bit of it. But what was what what it was was uh, the juxtaposition of fifteen paintings by Roland Bart, who is not known as a painter because he's famous for the essay, the death of the author, and for writing semiotic analysis of artworks and so on and of culture. But Bart was an amateur painter, and he made. Fairly small watercolor paintings, mostly abstract, and there's a li- there's a link with Bergen already because Bergen was heavily influenced, or so it seems. It must have been actually he was in by Roland Bart, and Bergen says in the catalogue for this show, which I thought was very amusing, but kind of presumably true, that he um, when he heard about Roland Bart, you could somebody told him about him, but you couldn't get hold of the books. This was when Bergen was quite a young. Uh, teacher, so he went to Paris, bought all the books he got in a bot in French, and got a really good French dictionary, and he like set to work. Really, <laughs> and I thought, I that think is he probably key. Did. I that think is he probably key. Did, you know, that I is so did. key. But the way the show's structured uh, is around this uh, slash, if that's the word, because if you if you look at the title of Roland Bot's book S Z, it's the letter mm. S, then a slash, then Z. So that is used as a sort of structure of this exhibition. And, the, and Bart is on one side as the writer who was also an amateur artist. And Bergen, of course, is a writer, equally a writer and an art, a visual artist. So the balance isn't quite um, straight or e- easy. But, but then all, the way it's structured, there are three um, digital, vi- well, they're not video, digital projections. Of, projections, thanks, yeah, mm. by Bergen. Made, I think at least one of them was made for this show. Mm. and uh, they're in separate rooms, in dark rooms, and then the Bart paintings, which are only small, as I say, they're all in one room at the centre, so that's like the hinge around everything, around the whole show, because Bart is both the centre of it and the kind of one side of it. So I think it's a very, it was a very interesting show, and it didn't always... I mean, it was, I, mean I, mean, I was interested in myself in trying to show Roland Bart's paintings in England, and I'm glad they've achieved it. But when you start looking at the structure, it kind of breaks down a bit. But it was quite interesting. You know, I tried to analyse it in my review because that's what you do, you know. Um, what, what, what was the videos, that, that these, these projections of well, by, by, uh, by, by uh, Bergen? Right, well, let's... Are they um, describable? Uh, yeah, well, I think so, yeah. But, well, I can remember <laughs> the names. Well, one piece called Belle de Dom from t- 2015... It's basically, uh, as I got them mixed up, they're very sort of, the colours are very uh, pale or blues and greys, right? and the Bart's very, very multicoloured. So these very quite cold, arguably, looking things, uh, slow-moving panoramas of, like, as though you're drifting across mountains. And then the one Belladonna, it sort of has this image within it, embedded in it, after all this drifting, of a building which is a sanatorium, and Roland Bart, and it's the sanatorium Roland Bart was in as a young man because he had tuberculosis as a young man. So there's a kind of reference to that, to that, into Bart's history. 
We're really going to have to write okay. up the show. Peter, anyway, I'm sorry. It was an interesting show. Well, well, yeah, and, and that is um, over now, but you think it's going to move elsewhere too? You said, Peter, where did you say it was going I to go I think as well? it's going to the corner house in Manchester. Well, okay, so it's, it's, it's called it's Home now, by the way, not, not corner house. So oh, check that out in case you, if you're interested to see more. And obviously, please read the full review of Peter's if you'd like to in issue April 2016. Um, thank you so much, both of you, Virginia Wiles and Peter Suchin, and you listener for listening to Art Monthly's talk show with Resonance Radio. Goodbye.